We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month, which obviously no pressure, whatever you've got, we are so appreciative to have, but we have awesome gifts for you. If you want a hand addressed letter from Morgan and Isabeau, maybe with some special woe stickers, other merch, just uh, visit our Patreon. We are Womance on Patreon, or is it patreon.com forward slash Womance? We would be very proud to call you one of our patrons. I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Romance. A podcast about romance novels. About hockey. About Massachusetts. About going to university. About shacking up with co-eds. About theater people and sports jocks. About insanely small campuses. About very misguided Miley Cyrus references. <laughs> but most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. ourselves. This week, we're talking about The Deal by L. Kennedy. A TikTok sensation. Isabel, will you read the back of the book for us? She's about to make a deal with the college bad boy. Hannah Wells has finally found someone who turns her on. But while she might be confident in every other area of her life, she's carting around a full set of baggage when it comes to sex and seduction. If she wants to get her crush's attention, she'll have to step out of her comfort zone and make him take notice, even if it means tutoring the annoying childish cocky captain of the hockey team in exchange for a pretend date. And it's going to be oh so good. All Garrett Graham has ever wanted is to play professional hockey after graduation, but his plummeting GPA is threatening everything he's worked so hard for. If helping a sarcastic brunette make another guy jealous will help him secure his position on the team, he's all for it. All one sentence. (laughs) But when one unexpected kiss leads to the wildest sex of both their lives, it doesn't take long for Garrett to realize that pretend isn't going to cut it. Now he has to convince Hannah that the man she wants looks a lot like him. All right. Um, when did we decide that sarcasm sarca- sarcasm is like a winsome quality in a person? The entirety of Gen X. Then it had sort of a, you know, delta. And then it's like a bunch of people find it attractive. It comes and goes. I, I mean, I think it's a very Gen X thing. It's a super Gen X thing, but I bet there were people in the, tw- like, it comes and goes, right? It comes and goes. Hemingway seems, like, very sarcastic. It comes and goes. Did you say Hemingway seems very sarcastic? In his personal interactions with human beings, not in his texts. Yeah, but I don't think he ever wrote, like, and we looked at the hills were like that were like elephants, and I was like, <laughs> what I think is hot about you is you're, like, so sarcastic. <laughs> That's why I had unprotected sex with you. Now we have to get an abortion. That's one of the things that he liked about El Gayhorn or whatever when he was doing their tour of Africa together before the Second World War. He's like, I love how sarcastic, it's so hot how sarcastic you are. Did he say that? To her. Yeah, absolutely he did. Specifically, he said, I love how sarcastic you are. Her humor. I think he said it was very biting. Okay. I would say saying something like that is a lot more elegant than this, like, (laughs) attribution to sarcasm that I've seen. She's so sarcastic. I love it. It's a real, like, Ethan Hawke, Janine Garofalo thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Except people, when people say it, they don't actually mean Janine Garofalo. That's true. That's absolutely true. They don't actually mean, like, a good sarcastic delivery. 
I'm hard pressed to think of a time when Hannah had a good sarcastic delivery. She didn't have any of them. But clearly that's not an important trait to me, so it wouldn't stick. <laughs> I mean, she had a lot of like, you're a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> so sarcastic. <laughs> you're a dickhead. <laughs> you're such a dick. Sarcasm much. Honestly, can I just, like, give you my criticism of this dialogue right now? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Because, like, I think the sarcasm is really blowing something open for me where it's, like, I don't know if you remember this particular moment in music history, but there's a song called Addicted to You, and it goes, I'm a dick. I'm a dick. I'm, I'm addicted, addicted to, to you. you. And it's very like the dialogue in this is very Smash Mouth from the <laughs> Shrek soundtrack, not from any of their own albums. If you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean? I would say from their other albums, except for the Shrek soundtrack, because I feel like the humor here relies a lot more on vulgarity yeah. than like actual timing or wit. It's like when people are loud instead of funny. Or quote (laughs) movies. Yeah. It's that kind of humor. Yeah. That is humor, air quotes. Freaking all the time. So this book was actually published in 2015. And I think this is important to note because I felt like a lot of these references were extremely dated, Mm -hmm. but some of them were actually quite timely. So I do want to go through a little situationing for 2015 to remind us of what was going on culturally. Great. Best picture went to Birdman. Mm. Best album, album of the year went to Uptown Funk. Whoa. God, that puts me in such a time. Taylor Swift was in her reputation era. Mm. Game of Thrones won best drama series at the Emmys. Mad Men was on its way out. Game of Thrones was on its way in. So it was like a weird amount of time ago. The United States had just entered the Paris Climate Agreement. Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president of the United States. Best five minutes of our lives. (laughs) We have a lot of really prescient stuff happening in 2015. When I look back on what was going on, though, I don't think Miley Cyrus was relevant at that point. I think she was making dead pets. I also don't think Ryan Gosling was still super front and center, but he gets referenced in this book as like King of the Hotties. Multiple times. Wasn't he like, he'd just like done Lars and the Real Girl? Like he was doing his like indie stuff? That came out when I was in high school. He he had already done Crazy Stupid Love, I think at this point. Mm. Maybe this was the year the other guys came out. If this book is referencing Ryan Gosling and the other guys, I haven't given it enough credit. <laughs> but I don't think, I think he's like post, I think he's kind of in a lull hmm. in 2015. Certainly pre-Ken. Yeah. I think like these references are always just like like a step or two behind. They're always, they always feel like there's a hitch in the giddy up in this book. I think that's another thing about the dialogue. Well, it feels like they're talking about Tab. When it's like, you should just say Diet Pepsi. Like, Tab is such a very particular reference that will always date you. Or, like, there's something, they're they're on their phones, and you assume that they're, like, smartphones. And, like, his is open because he's texting while they're tutoring, while she's tutoring him. And she's like, fucking stop texting. Like, you don't respect my time. And so then she, like, his phone is open, and she texts this person and then he takes her phone while she's in the bathroom and like deletes all of her one direction and then like downloads a whole new playlist and I was like how'd you get into her phone like you couldn't do that in 2015 and you certainly can't do it now I don't even think my husband knows how to get into my phone it like doesn't have that kind of like dreamlike quality I think like some things can feel unstuck in time and thus become timeless so they can have specific references but like feel kind of like gelatinous and smoky and ethereal you know and all of it this doesn't feel like that this just feels like uh it feels a little like the world building in this is clunky but the world is an american university 
And I would like to know when you clocked that this writer is not from the United States and did not go to university in the United States. Chapter one. (laughs) In a, in a philosophical lecture hall where everyone's a junior and there are 250 people in it. Page four. Two, the phrase two 30-minute tutorials came up. We do not call them tutorials. Good point. We don't. And I said, Canadian? British? The answer is Canadian. Mm. It's weird how idiosyncratic the American university system is. I guess. Yeah. I, or like how idiosyncratic other university systems are. And then when you superimpose how idiosyncratic they feel... Or how how influenced by the British, mm-hmm. other English speaking <laughs> university systems are? Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's like Australia, Canada, the Commonwealths, but they seem to assume that America's doing it the same way, and we're not. No. Also, like, and America's idiosyncratic in its own way, right? Because like this school, Briar University in Massachusetts, is supposed to be Ivy Plus, and it's like. That is a very specific set of schools. The Ivy is a very specific set of schools. You can't just call yourself Ivy Plus. And they're also a Division I sports school. And it's like... Unheard of. Unheard of in the Ivy Plus, except for three of them. Like, I looked it up because I'm like, that's not very common for the Ivies. And like... Not to get into idiosyncratic about American college sports, but I was immediately like... I don't want to talk about, like, endowments and why a Division One sports team would not be an Ivy League. Like, I don't want to, like, go that far into it. But it's a lot. Like, it's very specific to be an R1 university and also a Division One university for your sports teams. Like, the whole... Everything about it was just deeply irritating to me. And then it like it just began to feel like, well, you're cosplaying Harvard, even though your team is playing Harvard, but it's in a much smaller school. So then it's just like it felt like it was like a boarding school for college kids. And then I'm just like, this is stupid. You just aged up a boarding school in Massachusetts. It's not a liberal arts school. Which you would think if it was a tiny university. On the East Coast. In Massachusetts. Yeah. But it's not that because there's a big deal hockey team. And a big deal football team that everyone's mad at because they're not doing well. Also has a dynamic music department that does vocal performance and composition. Like two different majors. How big is this school? Because it feels like there's no one in it. Yeah, I feel like that would be like five people per major. Right? But they, And then there's like a big scholarship and two showcases. I'm like, this is a big school. It feels like you're both describing a boarding school, a state school, like a very good state school. And also an ivy, which you've never been to. This reminds me of when we read Never Sweeter. Mm-hmm. I also have that in my notes. Or like any book we've read or fan fiction we've read that takes place at an American university. It's like American universities are this weird, and I would say utopic, space for romance writers outside of the U.S. And I get it, right? Because like we've exported a lot of media that takes place at universities and our media presents like a real mishmash of stuff because universities are wildly different Mm -hmm. and then you just have this like fever dream where it's like a small liberal arts school but it's also an ivy league but it's also a division one i understand like thinking of a university experience as utopic in and of itself because you sort you have like training wheels life responsibilities you know and it just creates this really interesting world that's repeated across texts and is meant to be realistic right this is meant to be a contemporary romance Mm -hmm. but it is in no way that like it's it feels alienating Mm -hmm. as someone who went to an american university and you know did decided not to leave (laughs) samesies it's, it's a super alienating space. And I guess I wonder, I, th- I think it's like this perfect storm of like a youth fetish as well. But also like a very specific kind of youth fetish that not only fetishizes youth, but fetishizes like corn fed youth. Yeah, like 
so I'm thinking, like, and it's also, like, so, like, the particularities, right? So Garrett Graham, captain of the hockey team, is also in a fraternity, but doesn't live in the frat house. He lives in a house off campus with his four best buds slash brothers because they're also basically Spartans. Yeah. But if he's that senior classman in that important of a fraternity, it struck me as weird that he wouldn't live in the frat house. First of all, a Division One athlete would not be allowed to join a frat. Thank you. Like, from a very public team. Like, right. maybe if the hockey team wasn't a big deal. But even if that were the case, they wouldn't be allowed to live off campus. Mm-hmm. Not to get into endowments. <laughs> right, or, like, how people are paying for these hockey games. Yeah, or Title Nine, or... But it's all related, okay? Just trust me. It's all related. The very similitude of the thing. Athletes pretty much have to live on high profile athletes, student athletes have to live on campus. Especially if you're playing like two a days, two a days, six a week practices. Like you just have to be that close to campus, like for like doing the thing that you're essentially being paid by the university to do as they yeah. license your image and make millions off of you. So there's that. But like what I mean particularly about like this youth fetishization, it's like the youth body, but like the youth body is like um, a paragon where it's like every single person has insane pecs and insane abs. And like that's not unique for romance, but the the objectification of bodies in this text as it pertains to youth and like what a youth body can do in relation to getting like super drunk or like what kinds of carbs they can eat. Like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it is a very specific, dare I say, corporeal fetishization of youth. But this is also something that we see repeatedly when we read romance novels that are set in American universities. It's this idea of, like, beer guzzling, vodka shooting, cheeseburger nomming, you know, young people, beautiful young people. It is very interesting. And, like, there's also in the descriptions of the bodies of these characters, there is this duality that reminds me a lot of the way the university exists in that... (laughs) He will say in one breath, like, she has curves to spare. And then he'll point out her slim hips. Yeah, her very narrow hips. Which is a weird, also like a weirdly dated idealization. Even for 2015. But also, like, it's one or the other. (laughs) Like, what does someone look like who has, like, I think you just mean skinny big boobs. Yeah, because she's got stripper tits. Just stating facts. <laughs> There's only also also all in this world, all strippers have the same kind of breast, and it's a good one. Uh, they're big, and <laughs> bouncy, and perky. Well, we just like give these stories to, like we we complain about Kathleen Woodowis a lot, mm-hmm. but these patterns are still alive and well in romance today. Like he can't stop talking about how freaking tiny she is but she also has long legs and she also has curves to spare but she also has slim hips and he loves looking at her bubble butt but he isn't a misogynist because he cares about her because he cares about her he makes snide comments about miley cyrus having a sex tape he makes snide comments about other women wanting to fuck him because he's attractive and they're objectifying him but he doesn't learn their names and just calls them puck bunnies he also hates their outfits. He thinks yes. that they dress like slutty and preppy at the same time. Mm-hmm. But he's a good guy. And does not dress slutty or preppy because he wears all black all the time because it's his favorite color and he's drowning cash. Garrett Graham. Let's talk about Garrett Graham. Let's talk about Garrett Graham. We are pretty relentlessly situated in our two main characters. Both in first person, head hopping. Now look, this book was a hit. This book is a hit. It's a hit now. It's a hit now. It's got a hit series, okay? And I'm going to say it, nothing slaps like the hits. I saw all of this happening. I was conscientious of it. I was noting it. And there was still something in that sauce that kept me slurping up this noodle. 
And it was? I don't know. <laughs> so you want to talk about Gary Graham. Let's discover what the secret sauce is. Like, let's reverse engineer the ketchup. So our two main characters both have pretty big traumas. Yes. Big traumas. Big traumas. So Garrett's big trauma is that his father beat him when he was growing up and his mother. And his mother died from cancer when he was young. And after mm-hmm. she passed away, his father turned his aggression on his son. To complicate matters further, his father is a famous hockey player. And Garrett, in spite of himself, and I thought this was really interesting, loves hockey mm-hmm. and is trying to negotiate his relationship with his father and his relationship with this game game this love that he has in his life mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting as far as complexity goes it also makes it really easy to motivate every other thing that happens in the book like reaching out to Hannah for help mm-hmm. with his uh is it a philosophy paper philosophy midterm he's gonna redo it because and i this is actually true new professor comes in takes the job way too seriously everybody fails the final that felt very real that actually happens quite yeah that tracks like the administration is like you can't have half the students fail this class that's that's a you problem that's you doing a bad job yeah so she's allowing people to retake the midterm and he reaches out to hannah who happened to get a really good grade here is another piece of dialogue I did not enjoy. There is a lot of interesting, like, layered stuff going on. Like, I think Garrett's motivations and his experience with hockey and his father is layered, interesting, relevant, earned, all that good stuff throughout the text. We'll get into Hannah's trauma as well. But he sees that she did well. She got an A on the midterm. And he's like, how'd you do that? And she's like, I'm just good at bullshitting, I guess. That is a classic response that someone who's embarrassed of being smart gives. Mm -hmm. Someone who's embarrassed of caring gives. But this book doesn't seem to realize that nuance, Mm -hmm. which would have been a wonderful opportunity, even though she comes in and she still tutors him. It seems to me like this, it seems to me that this text is of two minds of this philosophy class, which I found to be an interesting tension because it felt like I was seeing the author show themselves a little bit where she says like I'm just really good at bullshitting and then in the tutoring the thing that she has Hannah has Graham do is like we're gonna read all of the philosophers again and basically performs a small like cheaty lesson from the good place where it's like this is what Kant says about this this is what uh, Foucault says about this this is what Burke says about this and now that you've like read the chapter on their thinking and the foundational theory of their very specific philosophy, let's apply it to a moral dilemma. And he's like, I'm just not very good at putting myself in other people's shoes. And it's like, I believe him when he says that. Yeah. I believe that Graham is not well-versed or well-practiced at taking in someone else's thinking in a way that's sympathetic or empathetic. And that what she's forcing him to do is that. What Hannah calls that is bullshit. And so then I'm like, well, does the text think that philosophy is bullshit? Or does the text think that philosophy is important for building empathy? Because what's happening to Graham feels good and important. But the way that Hannah describes this doesn't. It also uses like the cheapest moral dilemma, which is justify the holocaust as this thinker um why (laughs) also that's absolutely not what a new professor talbot would do i i was disappointed in that and then the other thing is like graham's like i can't justify the holocaust i'm a history major just the facts historically they they did they did hundreds of thousands of people did and still do currently it's a really weird I think it's using the Holocaust to, like, add depth, (laughs) which I really cannot, like, that's not what you should do with that. You should not use that as Worcestershire sauce in your romance novel. Although. Uh Uh-oh. Devil's advocate. Here we go. A 20-year-old in a low-level philosophy class who doesn't think about others 
might think about the Holocaust this way. Like, so when he, so he's like, he's been given this assignment by Hannah where she's like, you have to justify the Holocaust according to these different philosophy thinkers, right? Like it doesn't, doesn't matter. And he's like, bro, to his teammate, if somebody tells you to kill someone, would you do it? And he's like, fuck no. I tell them to go fuck off. And he's like, okay, but like, what if it was me, your trusted captain? And like, you know, you and I are in oh, this like, institution, <laughs> right? And it's like, because, and then he goes into the whole thing about like, citizens are meant to trust their governments. That's how government institutions function. So if your government institution is telling you to do something that you think is immoral, do you have a like, are you supposed to do it? And he's like, but like, think of it, it was, if it was me, would you do it? And then, and then he's then his co-teammate was like oh man no I don't know and I was like I do genuinely believe that there is a house on an American university <laughs> with two 20-somethings who could Having have this that exact conversation. conversation yeah like that didn't feel wrong to me I didn't <laughs> like it but it didn't feel like out of place in someone who's just like coming to a conscious awareness of like philosophical thinking the use of the holocaust egregious egregious should not be happening like him having kind of a vague conversation about if i asked you to kill someone that's that's a normal i i agree that conversation is happening and it's playing out exactly as it does in the text the choice to include the holocaust i can also see like a little like too smart smarty pants 20 year old using that as the example that they want to work off of. Absolutely. I don't know how using that example would get you an A on your midterm, but I wish you all the best. I guess we'll have to ask Ben Shapiro how he did it. Yeah, I guess so. Or not. Or we just don't. Or, or we not. just don't. Ever. <laughs> there are these weird conversations that feel very true to the characters that we're talking about. And then there are other conversations that feel like Good Morning America scolding. Like, there's this whole conversation about hookup culture, which is important because Hannah's trauma is that when she was in high school, she went to a party and she was drugged and she was sexually assaulted And in the aftermath of that, her attacker was a a popular boy from a powerful family in small town Indiana, and her family um, lost their status within their small town. Had to take out a second mortgage to pay legal fees, and now are ostracized. And that's like, that's straight up ripped from the headlines. Like, that's what happened to that girl in Ohio. So he... And Hannah are striking up the titular deal where she has developed for the first time in a really long time a sexual attraction to the star of the football team, the quarterback. Um, But she needs Garrett's help in making herself seem like a potential love interest for him. And in exchange, she'll help Garrett with the midterm. So classic, classic setup. So they're having this conversation. Hannah says, no, not okay. One, you clearly don't respect my time. This is the texting thing. And two, you clearly don't want to pass this class. Otherwise, your pants would be zipped and your textbook would be open. Oh, she walked in on him having sex with another girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're supposed to have their first study meeting. Oh, really, he challenges. So you expect me to believe that you study 24-7 and never hook up with anyone? Discomfort turns in my stomach. And when I don't answer... Suspicion floods his eyes. You do hook up, don't you? An irritable breath escapes my lips. Of course I do, just not in a while. And then he says, and then she says, go back to your floozy, Garrett. I'm going home. And he says, floozy, that's a rude assumption, don't you think? She could be a Rhodes Scholar for all you know. Is she? But also, like, why would being a floozy and a Rhodes Scholar be mutually exclusive? Right. And, like, (laughs) but also, like, this kind of reeks, like, you do hook up, don't you? Like, it's some kind of given, kind of, like, smacks of this, like, 
good morning America informed idea of hookup culture. And so there seems like these moments when the text is like talking at me about being a young person that really kind of breaks the vibe, (laughs) which is otherwise, I think, like a pretty well-reasoned contemporary romance. It seems like enamored with its subject matter, but also like it wants to put it in its place, right? Like it wants to talk down to it. Or protect it, I think, is the other thing, right? Where it's like, it's wrong that Garrett doesn't want to have a girlfriend and like has sequestered his emotions away from his bodily experience of sex. Like it's shallow. It doesn't treat women well. The fact that he goes around referring to women as puck bunnies is commented in the text by our main character Hannah as like inappropriate and gross but he like continues to do it throughout the text so like the text is like winking at him about his misogyny and I think like in that way so whoa that's kind of a big so you're saying because he has dis emotionally entangled sex with strangers he's a misogynist no, I think the way that he objectifies the women that he has sex with makes him a misogynist. I don't think the text reads him that way. That's how I read him. Like, one of the first things he says to Hannah is, uh, holy shit, I feel like I've just bumped into Stephen fucking Hawking and he's dangling the secrets of the universe under my nose. Can I read your answers? That's very, that's rather forward of you, don't you think? We don't even know each other. I roll my eyes. I'm not asking you to take off your clothes, baby. I just want to peek at your midterm. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Garrett does a pretty good job of, of not, of actually like not thinking of his conquests, I guess, as conquests. Like he agrees that the woman who gets upset with him when he shows up to the party with Hannah is justified. He's like, I guess I didn't communicate clearly what that boundary was. And Hannah is the one who uses the term puck bunny in conversation. He does too. And so do his teammates. He's the one that brings it up because she's like, what is a puck bunny? And he's like somebody who just wants to score with the hockey players. (laughs) She's this puck bunny I hooked up with last year. Puck bunny, I echo in horror. You're such a pig. Uh, is that actually what you call women when the woman is only interested in sleeping with a hockey player so she can brag to all her friends that she bagged a hockey player? Yeah, that's what they we call them. Mm-hmm. If anything, I'm the one being objectified in this scenario. Mm-hmm. I feel like the book, yeah, is kind of like winking at him. Like, mm-hmm. see, he's thought about it. Mm-hmm. He's thought about the way that he talks about women, and this is the conclusion that he's come to. And he's not, and not all women. Not all women. He's being very, he's very narrowly defining the puck bunny. Mm -hmm. Which I think is why I was like particularly triggered by Graham's refrain that he uses 11 times. Like, it's just facts. I'm just stating facts. Like, it's about like, you've got stripper tits, just facts. Like, I'm a history major. I deal in facts. I've seen like, them before. Stripper tits. You've got them. <laughs> You've got them. Facts. And it's like, I think one of the things that's like put me on edge about Graham specifically until we get to his like wild Thanksgiving is like his assurity in himself. And like the text does such a good job because that is how 20 year olds who are deeply privileged exist on campus, right? Like, I don't doubt for one second that Graham hasn't, like, doesn't consider, like, it didn't occur to him to consider other people's feelings. The reason why he had the interaction with Kendall, the puck bunny, is because he didn't really think about her feelings because he decided that he knew what they were because... He just knows facts and she just wanted to bag him because he's super fucking hot and on the hockey team. All of that is true. None of it is problematized enough for me. Like his growth trajectory, not strong enough to undo the just the facts damage. 
as far as I was concerned. There was one particular highlight that I wish the book had spent just a little bit more time on where I thought it was like it it did a a potential teaching moment in a way that didn't feel winking or funny but truly earnest and earned by the character when Hannah tells Graham about her rape and that she wants to have sex with him because she believes that she's broken and cannot orgasm with a partner. And he asks a fellow teammate, he's like, what would you do if you were having sex with a virgin? And I thought like, that's, that's good. This, this, this conversation that's happening. Excellent. And then it's kind of clear that like, he Googles it. <laughs> He's like, how do you have sex with a rape survivor? And I thought that was so sweet and spoke directly to Graham's growth and his like concern for her, his like desire to make things nice for her and like his growing emotional depth. I yeah. thought like that was so well handled. And it really, really made him made me like him when before it was very easy for me to dismiss this fucker. Where I'm just like, you dick. I actually, I feel like his, I do, I feel differently about his re- relationship with Kindle, who asks him, like, do you want to go on a date? And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't date because I'm too focused on hockey. And she's like, well, if you ever change your mind, look me up. And then he goes on a fake date in public. And that hurts Kendall's feelings. And he's like, I should have thought about how this would hurt her feelings. But I don't think he does it like, he's not like, you're just some puck bunny to the kick bricks broad. <laughs> like, it's not like that. It's like, he likes her. They have what he thinks is a mutually beneficial arrangement. Um, he stops seeing her when she asks to date him. He well, he's also mad at her because she never asked him any questions about himself. Right. Wh- what's like, well, wrong with that? Really, I mean, nothing's wrong with that. He's like, you never, like, you didn't want anything. Like, yeah. you didn't really want a boyfriend because, like, yeah. the only thing you ever wanted from me was hockey. Yeah. And this rocking bud. Yeah. And I think that's true. <laughs> I Until think that it is all Kendall wanted. Until it wasn't. Yeah, I think Kendall Well, she wanted to be his girlfriend, but she wanted to be his girlfriend insofar as she would be his, the hockey star's girlfriend. Whereas I think, you know, right, like Hannah. She really loves Graham for Graham. Well, she, she is kind of objectifying him to begin with though, right? Because she's like, I need you to get me off. I trust you and feel comfortable around you as a friend. And that makes you the number one candidate to give me an orgasm so that I can be good at getting orgasms when I have my actual sex that with someone I care about later on quarterback of the football team like that's pretty objectifying and he feels bad about it personally because he, he, he likes like her he yeah, likes he her likes so her much already mm-hmm. well I mean that kind of brings me to my sexiest part okay what's your sexiest part so my sexiest part, so there are sex scenes in this mm-hmm. book. Not talking about the first sex scene because we've had a whole discussion about how those always are going to hit the hardest or typically are going to hit the hardest. I might have read a book recently that's the exception, but I was, I found it very sexy when Garrett has not, you know, agreed to like give her participate in her sexual experimentation but he says I I'd really like you to go out and have fun and so I'm gonna stay sober so that you feel like you can have all the pina coladas at karaoke that you want and I found that incredibly tingly because it's so thoughtful um he's At that point, he thinks what happened happened to her friend, and he still sees her feelings around it as valid and important and wants to uh, support her through it and allow her to have typical American university experiences. Where they all have fake IDs and go to this karaoke bar. They don't need fake IDs. They're hockey stars. Oh, my God. But they all have one, including Hannah, who doesn't drink publicly. I was... 
I was like, why does Hannah have a fake ID? Someone heard about fake IDs and decided to include them in the book. Right? Because in the Commonwealth, everybody drinks at 18. Yeah. Yeah. L- listen, we could do a whole PowerPoint. Maybe we should submit a proposal to one of, to an RWA thing that's like explaining American universities to international writers. It would be so well attended. <laughs> world building a world that exists. American universities as utopia. I, uh, so she, they kind of, she gets drunk and then he asks her if she'll slow dance to some song. I can't remember what it was. Leonard Skinner, I think, God forgive. And he starts crying. Very erotic. Thinking about his dead mom, unfortunately. Dead mom. But the feeling of, like, it talks about her being, like, very much, like, present in her body and, like, the feeling of slow dancing um, and also that kind of, like, catharsis that was, like, very, very, very sexy. It was a very sexy part. What was your sexiest part? So the whole sexual experimentation I thought was really, really well done, right? Like, the first scene, like, she's, like, in it and then she's out of it. And I think Elle Kennedy did a wonderful job about describing how someone can want something intellectually and how you're Mm. like, you can have a passing thought and then you're thrown out of the moment and you're thrown out of your body. And like, that was such a familiar moment to me. Like, I like, oh God, that is like 20 year old is about, it's like, I'm super down to fuck. Oh, wait, I, uh, this is, mm, I am no longer comfortable. And the way that that description happened was so good. And then Garrett's reaction is so good because, like, the consent is non-verbally withdrawn and he immediately reacts in all the ways that you wish that college co-eds would. He's like, you're not into this anymore. Let's, like take a pause and she's like I don't want to pause which is also deeply valid right but like she's not in it and like the whole conversation that they have about that super great excellent title nine take notes um but so like that's the first day and they like masturbate in front of each other very hot the second day he goes down on her and there's this insane line where she's like the hottest thing I've ever seen is his mouth glistening with me and I was like fuck I am dead It's like, this book is so physical. This book is so corporeal. The, like, he gets, like, checked in hockey all the time. She talks about her voice going hoarse when she's, like, practicing for her winter showcase. Like, this book is very body-focused. And so the moments where it concentrates on bodily reactions, but then intellectual reactions to bodies, super hot. That was one of those moments where I was, like, dead. Worth the price of admission. I think this is like a friends to lovers. Absolutely. Because they're, they're not really enemies. And I think this is kind of a sterling example of how to do friends to lovers. Because I agree. I'm also thinking about the time that they accidentally watch an entire season of Breaking Bad and get pizza. Um, and nothing else happens. They just watch. And then, and then they like go to the bar together and then slow dance and then... She confesses she wants him to give her an orgasm. And what's he supposed to say? No. He has to think about it. Which is right. Yeah. That's the right thing to do. Right. It's the right thing to do. He was always going to say yes. He was always going to say yes. But I also love that she stumbles over it where she's like, I want you to have sex with me. Wait, that's not what I mean. I mean, I want to have sex with you. Wait, I want us to have sex with each other so that I orgasm because I'm afraid that I'm broken. And like... In the placement of the pronouns is the space where Hannah is taking up herself. And I was like, this is so good. This is great. It also specifically addresses, and Garrett is the one who addresses this. Like, you can't have, like, a single story about how sex is going to go. Like it might not work for you with vaginal penetration. You Like, that might not be your story. 
Um, and so you have to like open your mind <laughs> about yeah. this a little bit, think more expansively. Like he is, I think this book sees him as like a rakish figure, like a, like a rapscallion. Even but what he's saying is like very destructive sometimes. <laughs> Sure, and he says baby way too much. They all do. All the hockey players like love to call women baby. I love, I love baby. I, I love that. I wish that they would just say babe. Boy, baby is just like you like babe better than baby. I currently have a baby. Do you call that baby baby? Yeah, constantly, as though it's her name. Yeah. Well, you gave her a really long name. <laughs> My name is Isabeau. It's an extra syllable, but I feel like it's in keeping. <laughs> Did everyone call you baby? No. Almost no one has ever called me baby. But also, like, I don't think that I really invite it. <laughs> I look like a big baby, so maybe that's why it, like... Don't nod. <laughs> Have you seen your hands? People, shut you seen up. your adorable, tiny, doll hands. People don't see the mean things you do with your face when we record. And I'm calling you out. You should not have agreed that I look like a giant baby. Just Get your out of here. Just your hands. You look like an adult woman except for your preternaturally young hands. The way you body rolled that nod as well. I'm a corporeal being. I just jeepers. Okay. I get it. All right. You have young hands. (laughs) Please stop. That's why I I, I do wear jewelry on them to try to age them up. You give them a fake ID. Yeah. They're like, no one wanted to card me until I handed them my card with my baby fingers. They're like, oh shit, are you 14? And I wrapped it around their index finger. All five of mine holding on to the bouncer's one index finger. And they were like, baby. (laughs) They're like, you're not old enough to be here. And then I tried to put it in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) That oral fixation, it it stays with you. It's, It's real. I, yeah, I mean, like, I think this is, like, I feel like we've been shitting on it. But, like, it, it I think it's a remarkably sexy, expansive thinking. Like, it always pulls back on the sexual trauma as well. I was so scared it was going to be, like, he was going to do something to, like, break her trust. Yeah. Or this football guy was going to, like, try to drug her. Like, I was just expecting the worst. But really, it knows, like, this story, if you're going to do this story, this is enough, you know? Yeah. It, like, I, I too, was afraid. I, too, was concerned. It doesn't become a trauma dump. Which is nice. Yeah. It's a, it's very much about, it. you know, it's going to have levity as it, such as it exists in this book. <laughs> we don't think, like, it's certainly lighthearted. If, yes. Even if the jokes don't land for us. I understood that this book was trying to be funny. And in the moments that, like, it tried too hard, I was like, bleh. But in some, there were some really good comedic moments. Like when she wants to go yell at him at the end of the book and she goes into the boy's shower and everyone's just like, hey, Wellesley. And and she's just like, penis, 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 fat penis, small penis, big penis, tall penis. Tall penis. (laughs) I was like, that was funny. Tall penis, wearing a hat. (laughs) Penis. Swinging a cage. Logan's penis. Just pain, pain. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Having spoken... Of many weird parts. What was your weirdest part? I think my weirdest part is that, like, it feels like Graham is two websites or two bad interactions away from becoming a MAGA troll. And I say... And I say that because it's, like, the just the facts part of him. So, like, I guess I, I would I would pin this as, like, before his emotional reckoning of, like, receiving Hannah's trust, which makes him into a person who can 
function through empathy and like get to a place that's like I don't know better because like at the beginning I'm like you are really close to something gross that I am not into and I don't like spending time with you because of the way that you talk like all of this baby stuff all of like the stripper tits all of the like narrow hips and like all of the hockey players talk that way and all of the football players talk that way um and like we kind of talked about that but like really my weirdest part is that this campus is 10 minutes away from a very small town that has two restaurants and like one of them is the one that she works at and it's like a 1950s diner and I'm just like where are we are we really in mass this doesn't feel like western mass there are like some weird sprinkle like nostalgia for the 1950s kind of a red flag super red flag Hannah internally refers mm. to hip hop as vulgar Yes. Like, there are these little... There are weird conservative red flags here. Unself-aware conservative mm-hmm. red flags. Right, which is why it's like, it feels very 2015. Like, no one is, mm-hmm. like, part of the MAGA movement yet. Like, it hasn't, like, come to a place. But it also definitely feels like, like, there's one black character, and he's from Biloxi, Mississippi. Biloxi, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like... I don't know why I feel like half these characters are going to vote for Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah, it's not very politically self-aware. There's this conversation. I have to concede. Yeah, that actually makes you a total pig compared to the girls I know. Most they ever eat is half a starter salad. That's because they need to stay real thin so guys like you will find them attractive. There's nothing attractive about a woman who's all skin and bones. Uh Uh-huh, I'm sure you're so turned off by skinny women. I roll my eyes. No, I'm just saying I prefer them curvy. I swallow my last bite before reaching for another slice. A man likes having something to grab. What a journey that, that dialogue is. And it does not land where I think the text thinks it lands. Agreed. And there's lots of that throughout this book. But there's also lots of my weirdest part, which I guess is like a lack of editing. Go figure. There are just junk conversations in this book that go nowhere. Like, I guess that one about him liking girls with meat on their bones is supposed to tell us that he has the, like, is supposed to signal to Hannah that he might want to grab, not her slim hips, just her boobs her stripper honkers honk honk yeah (laughs) hold on to them yeah that's what that's what people with stripper boobs like (laughs) it is what they like that's universally known just get a grip in and don't let go there's like a whole conversation about him having a tribal tattoo oh yeah there's conversations about the internal lives of the other hockey players doesn't go anywhere it's full of these like weird asides that are supposed to be lots of romance novels have lots of weird aside conversations that don't propel the plot forward and they're meant to be these like moral and ethical like theses this book which i don't like either (laughs) but this book just has like straight up nothing conversations (laughs) and maybe that could be like romantic right like we're just talking about nothing you know But there's got to be a better way to put that on the page. Like, there's got to be a better way to write jokes. There's got to be a better way to, like, put sweet nothings on paper. Yeah, there aren't a lot of sweet nothings. There isn't, like, a lot of pillow talk. In romance novels? No, in this novel in particular. I feel like I've read novels where they just, like, there's, there's, like, a long denouement after sex where they just, like, talk about stuff. I feel like they're always talking about stuff that's relevant to the book though they're never like i wonder what kind of tree that is you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is like, what actual pillow talk is like it's true and like there's like one of the things that this book is like one of the great things about briar university is that it's so safe there's like zero crime and i'm constantly ordering the campus cab which like was such a trip 
Listeners, I don't know where you are on the age spectrum, but before Uber or Lyft, there there certainly was a campus cab system. And it was like, at the University of Missouri, it was called Tiger Tails. And it was it was run by like, th- like the take back the night, like feminist ladies. And they just like had two vans that you could call or text. And it would take like ninety minutes or more, and then it's just like, and then this van would show up to like safely ferry you from like wherever you Pointless. were. It was ninety s- minutes, ninety <laughs> minutes or more. It was like insane, and like they got a grant to get another van, so then they were like running three of them, and it was like a really big deal. And it's like that. It was so that was such a weird callback to a moment of unsafety before Uber and Lyft and like what it was to like have to walk from an off campus yeah home and it's so dark in those small college towns there's no lights right and like it is and then like you know one thing that like remains true it's like I know that you say this and I say this to you it's like text me when you get home it's like that was so important then and so like there's so much of this that feels real so that the moments that it doesn't it just like kerklunks (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it really emphasizes the parts that are right I feel like we are so uniquely qualified to offer this workshop on because you went to a small private university. I went to a big public university. Then we went to arguably Ivy Plus. Ivy Plus, it is on the list. Not a Division One sports school, though. No, certainly not. I went to a Division One sports school. And also, you lived in the town of a Division One sports school. I mean, I think we've, I think it is our responsibility to help these Commonwealthers. We've really had the gamut of American college experience. We certainly have. And we have not only been students at a wide variety. We have, in fact, been administrators at a wide variety. (laughs) That's also very true. God dang. We should definitely propose this workshop. It's just like, it's just for world building and for, like, these are the things you should know. All right. Well, womance or nomance? Great question. I went back and forth on this a lot today. I'm ambivalent, right? Where it's like, against my better judgment, I ended up rooting for Hannah and Garrett. But this is not a book that I would recommend to people. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I would not recommend it to other people, but I was like... I was pulled. I read it in two days. I never do that. I never do that. I definitely read this in three days. And like... It was a page turner once I got past how much I hated Garrett. And then I was rooting for him, which, like, I did not see coming. I wouldn't... I get why it's a hit. I, like, I sincerely understand why it's a hit. But I cannot think of a person that I'd be like, you need to read this one. Is there something you would recommend instead of this? Great question. Because I would, I would picture someone being like, I'd like to read, like a university friends Mm, to lovers mm, i think mm, this film friends to lovers is a really hard plane to land without being boring what's the hockey one that we read the other one pucked pucked yeah i think i would recommend that over this god we didn't even talk about the elephant in the room the hockey hockey and romance we didn't nor shall we guys quit being weird There is, there is no call for you to get weird about actual people on the internet. Real person fic, especially when it's visible to the real people, not cool. And when they're loved ones. And endorsed by their bosses. When their loved ones are like, please stop. Like, take that feedback. Take that feedback. The loved one kind of subtweeted. Sure, absolutely. And, and did not respond, as is their right, as is their want, right? Because we all live, thankfully, we live in a free society. Otherwise, this podcast would have been shut down a long time ago. But, I mean, just, like, be very, very cautious of RPF, of real person fic. Yeah. We can spend just a few minutes talking about hockey because, like, I have questions. I've got, I've got answers. <laughs> and maybe this is, like, for listeners where it's, like, okay, why hockey? Why? Is it because it's so white? It's, well, yes. 
This writer is Canadian, so we do have to take that into consideration. Do you remember Never Sweeter when it was wrestling, though? And it was, the mob was betting on it. <laughs> it was the, the fix was in on college wrestling. Like, anyways. Okay, so I've been thinking about why, I actually have notes, why hockey. So I think it feels like American football is, and, ho- and hockey are of a kind where they're recognizable and they're very masculine sports because there's a lot of hitting. Even though hockey is, like, really graceful because you have to do it on blades. The other thing that I thought was weird about this book is, like, nobody's talking about, like, brain injuries or, like, encephalopathy. Which they talk about a lot in football romances when we read them. Right. I think hockey is also obscure enough that people think they can get away with making shit up and Mm. not Googling. Mm. Like, in Pucked, when he was, like, taking a bus... The Chicago Blackhawks were taking a bus and they were going on like a tour for their away games. I forgot about that. They are flying private. Yeah. And then a luxury coach is taking them from wherever they're staying to the stadium and back again and then to the private. Like, that was funny. That was funny. It's like, it was like Hockey League Miners, but it was like the fucking Chicago Blackhawks. That was very funny. There's also this like repeated thing of like, yeah, it's, I think hockey feels obscure enough that you can get away with it a little bit more. Also, I will say hockey as a game, pacing's big for me. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a better clip than American football. For sure. It's so much faster. The only thing slower than American football is baseball, even with the pitch count. This text did a really great job of describing how exciting it is to be a fan on a hockey rink, right? Like, the the rink itself, like, how cold it is, how fast it is, like, all that stuff was great. But, like, why hockey? Like, so it's obscure, it's white, so there's, like, this whole thing where it's, like, I don't have to deal with minorities, which is, like, mm. Mm. Hockey players are hot, but they also don't have all their real teeth, which this text doesn't talk about, but I know for a fact is a thing with hockey players. But also, like, that's kind of hot. Is it? I feel like you're, I feel like every man who has all of his real teeth is a bully. (laughs) He has not done enough to earn his male privilege. (laughs) And I guess that's the point of male privilege, right? Knock a few teeth out, and I think, like, you get it. You're never going to make me feel bad about my jelly rolls, about how I look like a gigantic baby. I think it's a deleted scene in either Knocked Up or This Is 40, where Leslie Mann is on the dance – It's she's on the dance floor, and she's having a great time, and there are all these hockey players, and one of them, like, takes out his, his teeth, and she's so – yeah, his slipper, and then she, like, puts it in her own mouth. <laughs> Hell yeah! I'm like, I'll never forget that scene as long as I live of her just, like, it's just, like, yeah, this very hot man then suddenly transformed into, like, having lost several very important front teeth. Can you imagine living in a world where even if you lost important teeth and had fake teeth, you were still fuckable? Wow. I think I think that's the thing. I think hockey is like the most lumberjack adjacent and the kind of, you know, generation who's writing these hockey books is very into lumberjacks. We're talking late Gen X, early millennial. Lumbersexuals. Canadian mountain mountains. They like the they like the frosties. Certainly. Okay. They like the frosties. <laughs> yeah, I think there is something there's something weird about hockey. There's something weird about hockey. I'm not quite sure. And so, like, I'm glad that we went on this journey together. I'm not convinced. I'd like to see more hockey romance deal with the idea that, like, these poor people are, like, getting their brains battered. I think, like, romance for football has made that turn in some really important ways. I'd I'd like to see. But that's also become, like, all football romances. Right. Like, I'm like, you know, we can move on. But, like, I don't see soccer romances in the same way that, like, hockey is functioning, right? I don't see, like, baseball romances functioning the same way that hockey is functioning. Can you imagine? So I'm curious, like, 
kind of feels like white supremacy, but like I am open to other other takes. There's also not NBA romance, and I think there also might be something to like the accessibility of the wives and girlfriends on mm. social media. Because if your husband mm. is playing in the NFL, you probably don't have a whole social media account dedicated to like this is what it's my day in the life of as an NFL wife. But there are lots of NHL wives and there are lots of MLB wives. So maybe baseball is the next one. That would prove out if baseball was the next one. Interesting. Like just obscure enough, you know. Also, their team roster, but like that's true of American football. Like the rosters are really big, right? Because you've got like the like the set team, but then you've got like a deep bench because people get hurt all the time. Yeah, that's true for American football. And baseball just has a big roster because they play like a thousand games. I think it's probably just because American football is too fucking slow. Which I love that this podcast has become such a space for me to complain about how slow American football is. (laughs) Honestly, I'm here for all of your complaints, Morgan. I want to hear them. I have like a very specific ranking of sports. You do. And maybe we'll go back and do sports romances and I will be able to regale our audience. I'm sure they're dying to know. I mean, if they're dedicated listeners, they already have more than an inkling. Special case, Gallic sports. I love the hurling, mm. but that will, that's like an asterisk. It's not, it's not on the list. Anyways, golf romance, imagine. Well, now it's like the Saudi princes are there cutting up people, including golf players. <sighs> Everything's so dark. Everything's so dark. Which is why this 2015 little, little clipper came in and made me feel things. So it's a romance. Can't recommend it to anyone. I would say it's a womance. I think it, I think it's a womance until I read a better Friends to Lovers. Okay, I can see that. I'm gonna say that like it was a personal woe, but not a public one. Like I enjoyed it. I there isn't anyone that I'm like you should read this. Like you should spend your money on it. In that case, I'll bleep out every time you said it was good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's definitely how this works. <laughs> With that, loosen your stays that you wear as a hockey player. But never your principal That you hold as an American college student. <laughs> Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womans and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womanspodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Romance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.